Yeah, they had us the first half, I'm not gonna lie. They had us. We weren't defeated, but they had us. But it took guts, it took an attitude. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to be successful is an attitude. And that's what our coach told us. He said, it's the media. You got something to say about Hello and welcome to the Off Court Podcast, a podcast that talks about the critical political economy behind sports or media as we will get to on this episode uh i am your host aton i'm joined by my co-host abdul hey 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 i'm abdul we have from the locked on raptors podcast a commentator for the canadian elite basketball league uh from the uh basketball podcast sorry now i'm looking at your twitter bio at toilet humor at raptors hq as well um (laughs) we have we have sean woodley with us how's it going sean Oh, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on, and thank you for referencing the toilet humor, the unspoken thing that I do all the time, uh, in addition <laughs> to my many other uh, part-time ventures. Big fan of everything you do. Uh, really excited for the Edmonton Stinger CEBL season this year. What's his name? Moon? Yeah, the two-time MVP. <laughs> he's uh, he's a delight. He's super fun to watch. You're I'm very lucky I'm... you get him back in town this year. I'm so pissed because right before COVID happened, I had se- bought season's tickets to the Stingers, um, and now I will never get to see them. It feels like uh, we are recording this podcast on uh, two days after Alberta, where I live, became the uh, COVID capital of North America and yeah, South baby. America. It has the highest per capita COVID rates of any place uh, in the uh western hemisphere <laughs> you're punch you're punching above your weight yeah we really are um <laughs> we are also recording this the day after the toronto raptors uh whipped the los angeles lakers um behind by the time this comes out Low- kyle lowry may not be even be a raptor anymore but uh this is this is proof that uh, he will forever be a raptor and also that pascal siakam has um ad's number so badly it's uh not even a question at this point you can confirm this for us sean uh, i mean i'm sure you even confirmed this fact on the locked on raptors podcast today which i didn't get a chance to listen to yet so i just will use your labor here is um have the raptors been undefeated or the uh, yeah have the raptors defeated the lakers ever since lebron has been on the lakers uh the only time they lost was a few weeks ago when lebron wasn't playing OG got ejected in the first quarter for lifting Dennis Schroeder, yeah. I guess is the best way to describe it. He kind of just like deadlifted him like a like a weight without a little like a little weights baby. on the end of it. I don't, I don't exercise much. I don't know the terminology for dumbbells. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that, that was the only time they've lost to LeBron's team since uh, he left Cleveland, which is a very nice thing. You know, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really solve all of the uh the demons in the closet from the the Cavs years but you know it certainly you know lessens the blow just a tiny little bit to see all these meaningless regular season games go the Raptors way it is a consolation prize for a season that's uh this hellish and this awful yeah it's uh it's been rough folks and it's also been rough in the landscape of local sports media as we've seen time and time again yeah with layoffs at bell and rogers uh with basically layoffs in every major media industry uh increasing precarity and gig work as a part-time journalist uh you know it's it's interesting seeing pitches especially this year far fewer pitches get accepted than even were like a year or so ago right i have a friend who's a far better journalist than me who just tweeted today about getting six pitches denied uh in a week (laughs) um 
which is crazy. And, you know, Sean, this is something you have experience with, which is why we wanted to have you on, talk to you about it. So yeah, tell, tell us a little about who you are, you know, what you do, how you got into it. Um, sort of what, what, yeah, where you stand in this like immense landscape. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been in the game as it were for, I guess like six or seven years now. I, I uh, went to journalism school, which don't go to journalism school. It's a bad idea, but I did uh, at Carlson University. Uh, finished up there after four years of being told, don't cover sports. Sports are dumb by all the politics people who ran my classes. I uh, said, F you, I'm going to cover sports. And so I uh, ended up kind of getting an internship with TSN Radio in Toronto, um, you know, just kind of through a couple people I knew at Bell Media, you know, because privilege does help sometimes. Um, and so I ended up getting into uh, an internship there, you know, spent a couple of years or a year or so kind of, you know, a couple of days a week doing the unpaid thing and, and just sort of, you know, you know, posting podcasts and uh, offering stats to the people at TSN Radio who nothing about basketball to sort of make that my niche. Uh, and then... From there, you know, turned into a producer job. I kind of produced all over the place. I, um, you know, I produced our, our afternoon shows, our morning show, just kind of whenever somebody was off, I was the first person up to kind of fill in for the week, which was nice. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I produced for about a year. And then you know, I, I had a show that I produced, a basketball show that I started to produce called, I think it was called Home Court with Megan McPeak and Dwayne Watson. It was a really great, fun show. And then from there, I just kind of, realized oh this is tsn radio in toronto there's not a lot of way to like move up you know the people on the like the same people who are on air uh today were the guys on air when i was there and so i was like you know what i, I don't know if i need to do this and that was around the same time that i got the lockdown raptors job and i've been doing that for almost five years now and you know, that plus just like a desire to get the hell out of TSN radio in Toronto was kind of spurred me to just quit. And I, you know, worked the podcast and some blogging and stuff and started covering the team that year uh, in person, you know, the credentials and all that stuff. And then just worked like a day job uh, that was nothing to do with it at all. It was, I was the guy who walked around and read your gas meter for a couple of years as well to kind of make ends meet. And eventually with Locked On, I was able to kind of move up the chain a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm now our producer or manager for our baseball and nhl networks as well in addition to doing my basketball show um so i oversee like 70 different podcasts on that end and then moving to hamilton from toronto um you know just because a rent b my fiance is a teacher in hamilton and it was easier to, to come here than to make her move forwards and things like that um ended up latching out with tsn 1150 radio in hamilton which at one point i was like oh am i going back to the same family and you know this is going to be all the same crap but no because as it turns out, Bell Media kind of forgot that station existed. And it was like this beautiful little paradise where we could basically do whatever we wanted. Uh, we There was one show, uh, maybe two shows when I was there. There was a morning show and an afternoon show. And, you know, I'd get to be on air like right away, you know, offering Raptors takes and then takes on other stuff. And then uh, co-hosting in the mornings and then hosting my own shows, you know, from time to time, whether it was filling in on the drive time show or, um, you know, hosting my own basketball show at night. And it was really fun. It was great. And obviously, this past year was not so nice to TSN 1150. And it got shuttered basically without any notice in January. But that was a, 
a really high point, you know, during the pandemic, you know, just because there was nothing to talk about, and because apparently I'm good at talking about bullshit. Uh, they, uh, they were like, Hey, you want to come in be the third guy in the morning show just to help the guys get through and we can, you can talk about whatever you want, basically. Um, so I did that. And that was a blast. And that kind of when the CEBL season started up in 2020 summer, like, yeah, last summer, what is time? I don't know what year it is anymore but last summer um you know i kind of stepped aside from the radio station a little bit to do the cebl play-by-play and all that stuff i've been doing that for a couple of years so many different hats you know the, this the calendar is a nightmare um you know full disclosure we're recording this the day after we were supposed to record it because i forgot that we were recording um because i'm bad at you know keeping tabs on things and i think seven years of freelance living it just kind of you know, okay, today is today I'm doing this and today I'm doing that has kind of led to me being bad at writing things down. But um, yeah, that's kind of the uh, the overarching story, I suppose, that brings us here today where there's no TSN 1150. It's basically full time locked on. And uh, I'm not so upset about that, to be honest. It's kind of a nice place to be. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a, a bad way to end up. And yeah, I, I get it. I work three jobs plus this podcast. It's like managing a calendar is its own job. Um I'm going to take it very quickly back to Carlton for a second. Uh, for those who don't know, Carlton basketball has a, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, a legendary defensive scheme that completely demolishes any visiting American teams to the point where like American teams will avoid playing the Ravens. Yeah, the the Ravens are really good. Dave Smart's their head coach, or he was their head coach. He's now just like a consultant with the program now, but um, yeah, he, he won, I think the total right now is like 13 titles in 15 years. It might be more than that. I could be misquoting, but it's a lot, um, you know, basically ruining all parody in Canadian university basketball. But once in a while, they'll play Syracuse and beat them. You're right. And that's always a fun time. And, and yeah, it's gotten to the point now where I think it was um, during the Zion RJ Barrett Duke season where they came up and played a couple games up here. They played Ryerson, I think, and they played U of T. And I believe they specifically said, no, we're not playing Carlton. Um, you know, would they hang over the course of a full season? I don't know. Those U.S. games are probably the biggest nights on their schedules, and they're hitting those teams in the preseason. So it's probably not a fair sort of uh, evaluation of how good they were. But, yeah, they were uh, they were fun to watch. You know, I, you got to go to the championship games and stuff. They, they had, had it in Ottawa every year because that's the only place anyone cared about U-sports basketball. So, like, I guess we'll put it here. Uh, and so when I was in school, you kind of you get to be part of that and all that. But, yeah. The uh, the Carlton Ravens continue to to kick ass, and I um, you know I don't so much care about them anymore because I don't really understand the compulsion to cheer for the sports team at the university that you no longer give money to. Um, it's sort of like if I went to a vending machine and ordered a Coke. If I finish the Coke, I'm not then going to go cheer for Coke elsewhere. Uh, you know, I'll I'll get a Sprite or something else later <laughs> on, and that's fine. Um, so I, yeah, I'm more of like a just like the U sports game. And, and, you know, I get to watch some games with McMaster and stuff like that here in Hamilton, which is nice. But um, yeah, Carlton was a, was a fun time being around there back in the early two thousands when I believe they won all four years. I was at school. They almost definitely did. I'm just looking at their record now from 2018. They played Cincinnati, Mississippi, South Dakota state twice and Maryland Eastern shore and won all those games with an average margin of 30 points, which is bad shit. We have to put them up there with like the Patriots, the Lakers, the Celtics. Like we should be talking about I didn't even know any of this. We should be talking about the Carlton Ravens 
in that same breath is what I'm trying to get there at. Was, it was a pretty big deal. In my fourth year, uh, Jordan Kahn from The Ringer came up. And he might have been Grantland at the time still. But he came up and like did a huge feature on the program for The Ringer. And talked about how they beat the piss out of American teams. And sort of talked about Dave Smart. And you know how he refused to take any contract offer. No matter, no matter how big from an American school. like Because he just believed so much in U Sports. And also was just like, I don't want to move. I'm happy here. And I'm winning every year. Why would I want to move? So um, that was like, I remember like a big thing where that piece came out and that was like the buzz of campus for a few days was, Oh my God, we're in Grantland. Yeah. That's kind of the peak. <laughs> it's a weirdly janky. It's, it's their defensive scheme. Apparently it's some weirdly janky, like collapsing into the left scheme they play. That's like, yeah, it looks so confusing and weird. Um, So like, let's, let's talk about like the structure of sports media, right? Cause a lot of people tend to think sports media is, um, you know, sort of one big, tent or like one big umbrella or something like that um how is it actually structured like there's levels to it right like local national international like what's the difference and i guess what role does each level of sports media fulfill yeah it's interesting so i mean in canada it's weird because there's basically two companies that try to be all of sports media and they do a pretty damn good job of it they have all the rights they have you know, people covering everything. They have the shows. They have the you know, they're 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 the two monoliths, right? Or I guess that's not the word for one. That's the word for one thing. But you get what I mean. Um, you know, they're they kind of own it all. And I think it's almost because of that that a fun little sort of I don't know if it's like a layer. It might just be sort of like an offshoot, like a different sort of style of sports coverage has kind of popped up. You know, and I think this is really prominent when it comes to Raptors coverage, right? Like Raptors coverage is insanely deep and, you know, talented. And there's just so many young people coming up and there's just diverse in terms of, you know, the faces you see, the voices you hear, the different sort of content you see from podcast to video to all sorts of different things. And I kind of think that's as a result of how sort of closed off the main media is. I mean, it's just, it's so inaccessible. Even like nowadays there's like schools that basically feed these companies all of their talent like they're not really looking beyond the college of sports media in toronto like everyone you see on tv from daniel michaud to Faisal camisa like all these people are csm people who have kind of been fed through it it's just sort of the it's just like an assembly line of you know kind of you know that's not to say that some people like danielle and Faisal, for example aren't amazing but you know, you do get kind of like this cookie cutter of who's in your sports media, whether it's your beat reporters, whether it's your your on air people, they're all just kind of the same person just doing different roles. And because of that, because it's kind of kind of so closed off and getting in there is so difficult. And like I was only lucky enough to get into TSN radio because I knew a person who knew a person who got me an interview and then it kind of went from there. And then they're not going to say no to free labor. So they let me in. Um, but it, it is because of like the two company structure, it has sort of, I think, led to that sort of subculture of sports coverage where, you know, it is very gig economy based. It is very, you know, tough to make a living doing it, but the people who are good at it can find a living, uh, you know, I'm living proof of it. You know, I, I live entirely off of my sports media work now, which is great. And I'm super lucky and it's not the same for everybody, but it is, I think, a, a growing sort of thing where people are kind of learning how to monetize it, learning where you can make money on podcasts, learning um, the sort of monetization of video and all that stuff, too, and sort of turning that into other jobs where 
know, like Yahoo Sports, for example, has kind of come as like this sort of second tier of company that runs sports media in Canada. And they've kind of really been creative with the people they're allowing in and, and sort of the content they're letting people do. Um, but yeah, it, it, all, it is all sort of directly everything that below it is sort of due to what TSN and Sportsnet do in terms of just sort of monopolizing everything and monopolizing access and things like that. And then everyone else kind of has to fight for scraps and get creative. And the creativity has led to a lot of great stuff, but uh, still like kind of an uneven playing field for sure. And you see this in all sorts of different ways, just from pay to uh, access in, in media rooms and things like that. Um, you know, that doesn't even sort of count about all the, the newspapers and things like that or, that are also part of the mix, even though they're kind of a, a lesser part of it these days. But I don't know if that answers your question, but it's uh, it, there's two big dogs at the top and then everyone else is kind of adapting to or working for them. <laughs> in in Canada, are those big dogs subservient to like an international structure as well? Like, you know, do they do Bell and and uh, oh shit, Rogers, uh, for example, like. You know, do they get priority here over like if ESPN came to cover a game, right? Or or if international media comes to cover what the Raptors are doing, right? Sort of when when the Raptors are in the playoffs or when they were, you know, in their championship year and stuff like that. Like what role did international media play in like this ecosystem when it does pay attention to it? Oh, when ESPN's involved, everyone gets booted out and up to the blogger row up the top of the arena. Uh, <laughs> this applies to Sportsnet and TSN people, too. And they kind of, you know, they, and look, I'm speaking strictly from, you know, the only team I've covered on a regular basis is the is the Raptors. So I'm not sure how things work with the, with the Leafs. I'm sure TSN's not worried about ESPN, you know, walking in on their turf with the Leafs, for example. But um, with the Raptors, definitely, like the, there's this sort of, you know, Canadian ass thing where it's, oh, America's here to talk about our team. Okay, everybody else, uh, you matter less. And Rachel Nichols is getting the interview today. Sorry, Michael Grange and Blake Murphy and other people who are on the beat all the time. Um, you know, the, the access is now going to ESPN. And this, I think, speaks to just the sort of the construct of the NBA in general and how access works there and how, you know, there's a certain handful of people and companies that'll get their back scratched by the league and, and you know, its teams and things like that. But um, yeah, it's, and I mean, I'm living proof too of, you know, kind of, I was in a way sort of edged out of the finals because of this, because the finals come to town, all the American media is like, all right, we're going to Canada, we're covering the, the NBA and that, you know, there's only so much space left. So like, I wasn't able to cover the finals after covering, you know, 60% of home games for the previous five seasons and covering every game in that playoff run up until then. And then there just wasn't space for a second Raptors HQ guy. They said, get the toilet humor guy out of here. That, that that sort of happened there. So, yeah, it is still, you know, it's like a lot of things in Canada, right, where, um, you know, America comes and it's like, oh, they're cool and big and, and nice and we're going to sort of bend over and, and, and let them do kind of take over the, the show. And you're kind of left behind a little bit. But again, it sort of it leads to other things, you know, me not being at the finals directly led to me being asked to write a book about the finals. And so I can't be mad about it. It's It's sort of how you adapt to clearly not being at the top of the list and you know some people are, are good at it some people you know say screw this i'm out and that's fine um but yeah it's a it's a very strange ecosystem to work within no doubt we the we the champs is always a reliable raffle giveaway when i'm trying to do gofundmes on twitter and stuff like that um it was it was doug smith's book until people got mad at doug smith um now it's and, yeah now it's your book sean no it's um, we the champs um I, 
I, I wanted to bring up actually some depressing facts quickly and also just ask you, um, because, you know, you just illustrated a great image of like how American media can sort of seep into here and, you know, take its fangs in on us. We literally call, you know, in in uh, communications academia, we call Facebook, Apple, Google, all those things. It comes up to an acronym that spells out fangs like vampire fangs that are taking over our country. Um, But, you know, it's funny that you say that we we prioritize the big companies in a sense when, you know, somewhere like I know you don't work at the CBC, obviously, although you do speak quite a bit with Vivek Jacob, who works at the CBC, Um, the CBC, actually, when, you know, in the 90s, just to give a fact for us to discuss here, um, the CRTC was uh, uh, handing out licenses for satellite programming in the mid 90s, late 90s to all the channels. Um, And the CBC actually came out and put big bids on uh, satellite sports programming and a whole other type of specialty programming. They were denied for all their applications in favor of Bell, Shaw and Rogers. Um, I'm bringing this up to basically illustrate that our own government has seemingly also put priority into these big corporate players who, again, just to illustrate the point to our listeners, you know, Bell and Rogers are basically like taking over like 70 to 60 ish percent of the revenue, the media revenue in Canada. So they control the country. So I, I guess I'm sort of asking you, like, do you think the CBC has been overlooked and, and sort of could be looked for in hope of mending this fractured media landscape? Or is it always going to be, you know, not to put words in your mouth, this sort of like other thing that Canada can say, you know, we do foster our own culture. We have the CBC. And then at the same time, let, you know, the podcasters and the content creators just fight for the scraps. Is uh, what, what do you think of that when I, when I bring up those facts, basically? Yeah, I mean, we've seen the CBC have sports before, right? And be big players in it. I mean, they were kind of edged out and now they're just sort of hangers on when it comes to the sports net. NHL deal um and it's very sad to kind of see how they're just sort of like all right you get to play the Senators and Jets game tonight and Sportsnet gets the good stuff and you know that's just it's how the deal works and Ron McLean works for us now and, and all that so yeah they got they got nudged out there I mean they used to have baseball they used to have uh I think they used to have Raptors games if I'm not mistaken like they were deep in the rights game and, and you know I guess this is probably well above sort of my expertise as I'm curious as sports rights have gotten more expensive, they're like the only thing that makes money anymore in television. And, you know, I mean, look, the NHL just made like, I think it's like 600 million bucks a year or something like that from their new deal with ESPN and TNT. Like they're, they're, they're swimming in it because of TV rights and nothing else. And we've seen this with the NBA as well and the huge uptick they had. And I wonder if that's just too rich for a public broadcaster's blood and, can you justify the CBC spending $400 million for rights to sports that are going to be on TV in the country somewhere else anyway, maybe a little bit less accessible, but you know, I, I guess that's a policy question. That's again, way above my pay grade and above my expertise. And I'm not in those rooms and conversations, but I would guess that's kind of why that it's sort of fallen out of favor is like a destination to watch live sports outside of like the Olympics and, you know, skiing on a Saturday afternoon in February. Um, and so, yeah, it, it might just be that, the CBC could be a place where you could have live sports and sort of change that conversation, but it also might just not be financially feasible with the way sports rights have gotten so out of control. And maybe that's just an unfixable problem until sports rights are not expensive anymore, which I don't see happening anytime soon here. Um, they might just be kind of not able to pony up the cash that these private companies can. And that's just going to continue to further the stratification at the top with those two companies. It's, it's interesting. Cause like, 
yeah, with um, the number one reason people don't cut the cord for their cable subscription is live sports. And in the U.S., you've seen, like, for example, like, you know, Hulu and I believe Amazon both made a play into live sports. Amazon carries, I believe, some NFL games now. There's the the zone now as well as an alternative for NFL and for watching soccer. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where, yeah, DAZN is where I watch where I watch uh, football and stuff like that. And it's like, but in Canada, it's it's you know you don't even have the uh, you know ostensibly like capitalist idea of like free market choice, right? Where it's like if you want to watch the Raptors, you need like a TSN and a Sportsnet, and you better pay for Sportsnet three hundred and sixty because the Raptors are on there when the Blue Jays start playing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, uh, unless you're like me and you're mooching off your parents' uh, Rogers account, right, to watch both, like, you know, like, this is one of those things I find really interesting is people are, are always talking about, like, oh, yeah, sports viewership is declining. And I don't believe that for a second. I just believe fewer people are paying for sports. And and that's like sort of one of the one of the things with you. Like, what's been your experience uh, with the CBC and like covering CEBL and like, because you know, if if it can't do anything else, it can at least like nurture homegrown basketball or like other homegrown ventures, right? Like, what's you you've been on both sides of that, the CBC and the TSN Sportsnet Sportsnet side. Like, what's been your experience in terms of the difference in the way that, like, the CBC treats basketball versus the way TSN did, right? Yeah, I, I mean, with the CBC and the CEBL, it's like a it's a really cool thing that's gone on. It's now, but for people who don't know, this actually started in our first year with the CEBL. I think the back half of the season, they started putting our games on CBC Gem, which was a nice little boost. And then last year for the CEBL Summer Series, the shortened bubble season, um, you know, I think there were seven or eight games on CBC proper. All the rest were streamed on Gem. We had Peter Rootgazer from their Olympic coverage was the main play-by-play guy. Um, you know, it was a really great production. And that's the thing is like... It, the, the CBL, yes, it costs like resources and stuff to put this stuff on, but it's not like a, an enormous undertaking. It's not the most expensive thing in the world to put on. And maybe this is CBC's sort of lot it is, you know, building these smaller leagues and um, sort of really staking a claim to them. You could say this for, you know, the, the NWHL as well. Maybe they get in on that, that type of thing as that league continues to grow, you know. Um, you know, the CBL is this very Canadian thing. It's a niche thing. Not everyone is going to care about guys who are sort of fringy G League level players. Um, but if you're like you, Abdul in Edmonton, you have a team, you know, then you could certainly get on board for sure. And, you know, the expansion is going to come. The league is in a good spot somehow through having most of its existence happen underneath a pandemic. It's still kind of powered through and is looking to expand to Montreal and beyond. And, you know, I think the CBC that's maybe they're just that's their lot is just sort of building up that sort of, and like maybe this could be like what their role should be with the cfl as well you know tsn obviously has a lot of uh investment in that but you know the cbc used to have cfl games that helped build that league into what it is and, and i think the whole cbl goal you know from talking to people i mean mike morreale who runs the league is a former cfl player he said many times on record like i want this to be the cfl of basketball and CBC has a track record of helping leagues like that get there. And so I think it's a wonderful partnership. They've done a really good job. They've been super supportive. And it's not that much of a crazy investment for them. And so I wonder, do we see this with U Sports, for example, where no one gives a damn about how good the Carlton Ravens are. But if they were on TV and available to watch for free on CBC Gen, maybe people would care. And, you know, that's, I think, like CBC is a really 
big sort of potential in like the local sports growth area, I think, just be- because they can sort of make the the small investment that it is to put these things on the air. And hopefully it, it sort of, you know, it leads to, you know, a, a, a wider appreciation and a more access to watch those games and those sports. And then those leagues become big enough that uh, TSN and Sportsnet buy all the rights. Sorry, I just that that made me think of something that isn't actually on the docket for me to ask. But, you know, as somebody who's involved uh, quite deeply in local sports um, and also you're aware, you know, of American, um, you know, local sports and and sort of um, like high school and college sports. Do you think there's uh, potential in Canada to even capture like half of the fervor and the sort of culture around like youth athletics and local sports that there is in America. If say, you know, the powers that be that we're all talking shit about constantly on this. So bell Rogers and the CRTC and everybody that like, do you think they have the tools to foster that kind of uh, culture in Canada? Oh, hundred percent. Like I, mm-hmm. I think all of these corporations act with such short-sightedness it's insane and it's you know, we've seen this with like the wnba for example right it's like well why would we put the wnba on if no one's gonna watch it it's like well no one's gonna watch it unless you put it on the air for people to see and then boom when you do that as they learned this past year on espn people are gonna watch the shit like it's on it's there and it's you know people were tuning in in record numbers and yes it's a pandemic and it was convenient enough i suppose to tune in for those games and and all that they were on people were home but it just kind of proves that you know you can go all you can grouse all along about how no one's going to watch this thing but unless someone takes the leap and says i'm going to put this on my channel and get people to watch it and take the short-term loss that that might come with you're never going to know what you have and this is my biggest thing with you sports right is you know, I don't know how much people want to care about U Sports basketball. I think there's definitely value to it. We're seeing these players become CEBL players. There's a partnership with the league, for example, where you know there's a there's a U Sports draft every year. These guys are getting regular minutes and all that in the CEBL, and that's leading to careers overseas and things like that too. Um, I just you're not gonna get that sort of. I lost my train of thought there, but you know you're not gonna get that sort of. Um, widespread understanding and, and, oh, this is really good. And like, you know, the the U sports can be entertaining. The football can be really fun and great and sort of a precursor to liking the CFL. And, um, you know, the basketball is really high level and all these things. Like you're not going to get that unless one of these networks like Sportsnet or something says, okay, we're not just going to play the finals every year. We're actually going to play the lead up to it and see if people are invested. Because even if you do grab people in with the women's basketball championship on, on March 15th on Sportsnet, you haven't played any other games in lead up to that. And the next one's not for eight months. And so you're just asking for people to forget about it once again, until time comes around the next year. This is like the problem I've had with like Aussie rules football. I always catch it during the championship just because it just happens that way. And I always say, Oh, I'd love to watch this all the time. Then it's not on for six months. And then I forget about it until the next championship is on TV and I catch it at 10 AM on a Saturday. And so yeah, the, all of these networks have it. They have the money. Like, you know, <laughs> I know they'll cry poor and, you know, let people go and fire 400 people in a, on a on a whim after their fake mental health. Let's care about mental health day. And it doesn't matter to them because apparently they're so cash poor, but they're not cash poor. They're, they have lots of money. They have lots of resources. They own freaking sports teams. They're just fine. And they could take the small hit. It doesn't take that much to put on a production, especially now that we're seeing, 
you know, I've worked the Canada Winter Games, for example, and there's all these new setups where you don't need to have the million dollar truck that goes out to the site. You can have remote cameras, you can have remote broadcasts if you want. It's all totally doable and looks just fine on television. Is it the full ESPN NBA Finals broadcast? No, but it's pretty damn good for the amount of resources and sort of time and effort that goes into putting these things on. So yeah, like these these companies have kind of just decided what sports they care about. And the other leagues that don't obviously present a chance to make a lot of money, they're refusing to put on. And, and you know, that does affect the local coverage. That does affect, um, you know, the, how the McMaster Marauders are able to do in terms of, you know, the, their sort of overall reach within the Hamilton basketball market and all that stuff. It, it's, you know, it, it's in the power of those big companies. Like, they can take the small hit for what could potentially be long-term gain. One of the things... Um... I did want to mention for uh, as a brand new convert to the incredible sport that is Aussie rules football, Sean, uh, not 9.45 p.m. on a Friday, there will almost always be a game on uh, if there's a I guess that's 11.45 your time, though. Fuck. I live in the best time zone for sports. Yeah, you so. really do. Don't worry. I live like zone. a goblin. I'm up late. Uh, so <laughs> I'll catch those games. Yeah, 11.45 uh, Eastern time. There's almost always a game on uh, for Aussie rules football. Go Swans. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting with like building up a culture. Like, you know, when we look at the horizons of sports uh, in Canada and like especially the way collegiate athletics could go, it like presents such a cool opportunity to like actually build up an ethical form of college sports. Uh, you know, by putting attention on the players, by like building them up, uh, since it's like a smaller market, by looking at ways that they could be, you know, remunerated that aren't uh, the way the NCAA does it, which is to say not at all and stuff like that. Right. And it's like, yeah, I guess our media ecosystem is going to be extremely instrumental to if that ever happens. Um, I have my doubts. Oh, yeah. Same here. <laughs> like they've had their chances. I mean, we saw it with like the score, for example, before the score was shut down. I mean, they had university rush every weekend you could watch western play york and you know they'd have like a double header every saturday to, to watch those games and then it just went away because you know the score didn't make enough money i guess and rogers bought it and, and, all, and that's all she wrote you know you bring up the score uh which is a great transition to do a question i had for you but you know i i find these interesting like parallels or lack of parallels between the score being shut down right so the score was shut down and like sold to Rogers with the the sort of notion of modernization. So now it's to around two that I think I believe it was around 2011, 2012. Podcasting, online stuff, online um, sports reporting is becoming really like mainstream beyond the Grantland blogs and everything. But then there's the layoffs that you were a part of, which don't really come with even even though those layoffs were equally sort of idiotic because like you know basketball Jones cabby uh, Blake Murphy they all came out of that and then they flourished in the digital world like they almost m fulfilled the prophecy of this modernization that they're trying to reach by letting go of these people but now with the bell layoffs and with TSN it was just kind of just because to save money and and then Interestingly with you and what you had said earlier in our episode is that you're kind of fine with it because you're already so established in the Locked On Network and with your other podcasting and, and announcing. Like, where, where do you think we are right now in this dichotomy between like the digital world, the sort of legacy broadcasters we discussed about and everything in between? I, I don't know if I actually just asked you a question, but. No, no, it's 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 cool, man. I, so, yeah, it's weird. I just it, it, with the radio thing that went down. You know, it's just it sucks for 
people in the cities that listen to those radio stations. And look, I don't know if it was a lot of people. I can guarantee you it was not a lot of people listening to our little Hamilton radio station talking about the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Like, it was was a small little operation. But we had, like, five employees, so it wasn't actually that much of like a thing to run it was a pretty bare bones operation our studio was in another radio station building like it it wasn't like we were some elaborate expensive you know broadcasting on tv type of thing whatsoever it was pretty bare bones and i I think it was similar in winnipeg and uh, maybe a little bit more sort of built up in vancouver where they had an enormous station out there like one of the top three or four radio stations in all of canada was tsn 1040 i think it was out in, in, in vancouver and so, yeah, it just it's a bummer that these big ass companies just thought, oh, like, well, the little bit of money we're losing on these, it's not worth serving the people in these markets like Hamilton has no other sports station. They have no other rights holder who covers the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who are enormous in Hamilton. There's the Hamilton Bulldogs who, you know, won an OHL title a couple of years ago and they were the right they were on our station. You know, that, that that's the only way you could listen to those games. And so. You know, just kind of in the name of saving some money and turning one area red from red to green, you just sort of stop serving an entire group of people. And those people are going to look somewhere else. And I think in Winnipeg, it's a really good example of like, we don't need these companies anymore, frankly. Like people can, like as subscription models kind of become more the norm and people realize like they can pay for good quality sports content. You know, we're seeing out in Winnipeg, all the guys who got left off, let, let, let go from the Winnipeg station just started, okay, we're just going to do Winnipeg Sports Talk on YouTube every morning. We're just going to do our own damn radio show. And sorry, Bell, like, you're not going to get to get any of this pie. We're just going to make our own thing. And we don't get to worry about getting laid off at a, the whim of a, a CEO somewhere in Toronto. And, you know, we're seeing this too in Hamilton itself. You know, the, the station here in Hamilton was really special because, look, you can feel what you want about the CFL. I don't love the CFL. It's not my favorite thing in the world. I grew an appreciation for it moving to Hamilton and covering games and all that stuff. Um, but people really love it here. And there are a lot of people in this country who really love it. And yes, TSN does serve them in sort of a, you know, here's our panel type of way, the sort of superficial way. But like TSN 1150 was the place for like a diehard CFL fan to tune in across the country. There are fans from Saskatchewan, BC, Edmonton, whatever it might be tuning into our station just because we were the place talking about the CFL and that's just gone. There's not that like the day the station got shut down, they were an hour away from doing the CFL free agency special. Marshall Ferguson and Kyle Mello, my former employee, uh, co-workers there, my co-hosts in the morning when I would co-host with them. Um, they were getting ready for their huge free agency show. They do it every year. It's like widely listened to on all of the platforms that the station puts out and it, it's beloved. And the, like an hour before, uh, an HR woman walks in and says, Marshall, you get your stuff, you're done. And, you know, that's gone. And guess what? They've now, Marshall was working on his own website, uh, Canadian Football Perspective. He's now just sort of leaned totally into that. That's his full-time job now. He does podcasts with Derek Taylor, who works out in Saskatchewan covering Riders games. You know, they kind of still do a, an approximation of their morning radio show once a week, and Marshall and Kyle do. And they have really leaned into, okay, we're just going to give you the best coverage that we can give. And people are paying for it. People are are, are are flocking to it. And that's just the whole group of people that TSN doesn't serve anymore. And ultimately, I don't know what the long-term implications might be. They might be just fine and they'll continue to roll on and make all the money that they want to. But 
there's something there. There's something they're losing by not serving those local communities and the people who would tune into their radio stations and hear their branding and hear all of that stuff every morning to get the sports they, they, they thirst for. And now they can just go to Andrew Patterson's YouTube page and watch the exact same radio show they were doing in Winnipeg, except now it's not under the bell umbrella and they don't have to worry about getting laid off at a moment's notice. It's it's interesting. Like we we discovered firsthand after doing an episode on the uh, ethical parts of the CFL, uh, just how hardcore CFL fans are. Something else. I've also written about for Jacobin. I've written uh, a bunch on the CFL, and uh, every time I do, I have gotten uh, a lot of interesting like mail. Right. <laughs> um, but it's they've, they've found me psychotic fan base. Let's put it that way. But uh, a diehard one. If yes. you're being they, they found me too. I, I don't even have my real name in my uh, in my like at or my uh, my my username, Sean. And they found like a reporter who was harassing us about some facts we got wrong, found me and decided to. <laughs> yeah, they're crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's it's interesting you bring this up because like it, it sort of reflects, I think, a bigger trend in media, right? Where um. It's like uh, Sony, for example, when it comes to their PlayStation, announced that they were not going to be developing mid-range titles very much anymore, right? They were pushing towards big blockbuster AAA tentpole games, right? Same thing with Disney, obviously, and and film. Largely now has moving to the $200 million blockbuster space, right? Like right now, on my uh, fourth screen, there is the... Marvel sponsored uh, Pelicans Warriors game where they have Zion oh my looking God. like the Hulk, like and, and players are awarded hero points based on uh, and subtracted hero points based on turnovers and layovers. And there's like ads for Disney and Disneyland everywhere post pandemic, obviously. So it's like, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's like it, all of these companies are now moving to like this this assumption that the biggest thing is going to be the thing that makes them money without any regard for like it's tentpole all the time without any regard for like okay culturally what are we fulfilling what sort of mandate do we have to like support and nurture either the next generation of sports journalists writers of upstart sports of young athletes it's just like what's the biggest thing we can put on our network that will drive the most views um it feels like a bubble it really does uh, i mean newspaper journalism is like this too and it's like not not to veer off what you were uh maybe getting at abdul but like you know the cbc had local uh news outlets across the entire country in every small municipality throughout the 90s early 2000s and we've slowly seen all these local news places sort of shudder before the sports ones reflecting what you're you're getting at abdul right so it's it's this like it, it has to do with our democracy too this problem right yeah sorry, sorry to jump John. in but like no, the no, no, thing please. that sucks is that you know like it, it it just they might never you know there might be a bubble it, you know it might come back to bite these companies but like they're almost too big to fail now and like it almost doesn't matter what they put on their air they have so many different things that they're you know taking money out of the pockets of people for that you know, it doesn't really matter. And you can complain. Why aren't you playing WNBA games? Why aren't you playing, you know, this, this, and this? Ultimately, like, they might just be able to survive on the, well, it doesn't make us money. And so we won't air it thing. And that sucks because that does sort of, like, you're getting at Abdul. Like, the the culture of sort of sports in the country is hurt significantly. The, the upcoming people and, you know, a capitalist would say, well, if they can't make money doing it, then they don't deserve to do it. And it's like, well, uh, kindly eat shit. Like it's just a much healthier and vibrant sports culture if you do have 
every different sort of layer and, and sort of taste for for every sort of sports fan, right? Like some people want to watch the Toronto Blue Jays of the International Baseball League or whatever um, against the Hamilton Cardinals, and that's you know that's what they want to see. Uh, sorry, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, not the Blue Jays. Um, but like, shout out to Christy Pitts Park. But you know, it's like you know people want to watch that stuff and if you are only offering up certain things you know people will find the other places to go to it but i don't know if that sort of seeking other things out will be enough to make these companies pay for which is the depressing part of it and that's also one of the things right where it's like i firmly believe one of the reasons toronto does not have a wnba franchise is because of tsn and sportsnet where they have blackout games for all the other uh, WNBA teams, right? Like they run a bunch of WNBA content, but they do nothing to promote it. So no one knows it's airing on TSN or Sportsnet, but people will buy League Pass uh, for the WNBA, which is $10 for one team, right? Like you would be stupid not to and not realize that like a bunch of the games are blacked out, like especially the marquee games are blacked out um, and just be like, oh, this sucks. I don't care about the WNBA anymore. And I tried. Like that's that's like the the really like really good example of what what you're talking about where it's like oh you're actually like making it counterintuitive for new more inclusive you know sports or or sort of upstart leagues or new teams to ha- even get like a footing in because you're only promoting the stuff that will make you buckets of money on top of the buckets you're already sitting on yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't really know how you fix it. I don't know. You just need, I guess, some enterprising like executive at one of these companies to say, like, we're going to invest in sort of lesser sports and we're going to invest in local sports. And, and you know, I, I don't know how many of those people who rise at the ladder are built to the point where they can make those decisions. So it's uh, I, I don't really know where the solution is. It might just be that, you know, both things exist and the you know, the big companies continue to go on and they'll be stuck in their ways. And eventually maybe they sort of lose favor entirely in in favor of everyone else who's kind of going elsewhere for their coverage. But that's the nice thing is that as we go here, there is good alternate coverage. There is good alternate, you know, it's not just of the smaller leagues, but like, you know, you can go elsewhere, you know, as opposed to TSN for your Raptors coverage, you can go to Raptors Republic, you can go to The Athletic, you can go to Raptors HQ, you can go to Raptors Rapture. Like there's no shortage of places you can go to get that stuff, maybe that's where they ultimately sort of see that hit. Maybe they feel like they have to diversify or something like that. I don't know. It's, you know, again, way above my pay grade and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, it's it's tough to find a solution and see a path where these, like, ghoulish companies will start to think with, like, their sports-loving hearts as opposed to their money-loving brains. In this house, we do, uh, in fact, stand Blake Murphy I mean, I, 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 we've actually covered a lot of the questions that I was going to ask in different ways. Um, I, I have like just basically a follow up to what you had just said, said, Sean, to just bring down the mood for a little bit. You know, I, I wanted to ask you, and I think uh, Abdullah had it in his questions too, like what maybe would be the solution to this. But this is where I'm very hopeless. Um, I mean, in terms of monopolies in Canada, we've been normalizing them since the 80s. A quote I have here um, from Ted Rogers when he was lobbying the CRTC in the 80s to let him buy a bunch of uh, newspapers. 
to basically establish Rogers as second to Bell, his uh, famous quote was, it would be either me or Disney when referring, referring to like expanding his Canadian monopoly and then sort of going to where we're at now, um, you know, just to, I'm just spouting, I'm in school right now for this stuff. I'm just going to spout all my information. We're introducing a bill. It's currently tabled in parliament and hasn't been uh, implemented yet. Bill C-10, which is the whole point of that bill is we're going to start taxing all the digital streaming services and um, from from uh, North America in hopes of mending like our legacy broadcasters. So that includes Rogers and Bell. Part of this bill also comes with a massive bailout for these companies and for on top of that traditional newspapers like the National Post and the Star, but also for the people who just laid you off. Like they're, they they seem to have a chokehold over the government is kind of what I'm getting at. And then on top of all that, Bill C-10 while it's going to tax all these streaming giants, doesn't bring up anything about, you know, applying things like CanCon laws to content creators, you know? So basically I brought up all these facts to say, like, do you think that is a solution to sort of apply how we, you know, regulate music and film here with like digital media or content creation? Because I bring up also what I brought up with Rogers because, it seems like they don't want that to happen. They they want all of the bailout money from Canada and this whole notion of like us fostering our culture in Canada to combat American expansionism. We want to concentrate it at the top. So again, didn't really ask you a question, but lots of facts for you to sort of go through. And also, do you see a solution within all of that? Well, I'm just glad to hear that Bell's getting another bailout. Um, you know, the, the, clearly the one that came just before they laid off 400 people wasn't enough for them. And I'm glad they're going to be made whole. So that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, it is tough, right? Like you said, like we're kind of wrapped around the finger and it's just kind of what we know. I, I don't, you know, in terms of like the CanCon sort of idea, I don't mind that idea as like a way to sort of legislate that these networks have to carry local sports, perhaps like, hey, you can play all the NBA you want. But you also have to play X number of U sports games or something like that and invest in broadcasting those. Or you have to air the Canada Winter Games uh, on more than just your streaming services and air the whole damn thing on all your five TSN channels or whatever that might be. Um, you know, there, there certainly is something there, I think. And that would be, you know, I'm sure they fight it tooth and nail to not have to put on stuff they know isn't going to make the same money as, you know, Sunday Night Football. But, um, you know, I, I'm sure radio stations would like to play uh more than just july talk uh you know i think there's not to take a shot at july talk they're fine but you know it's you know there's lots of other stuff from the states that i'm sure they'd like to have there in there as well but yeah if you were to hold those companies to account in that way um maybe there's something there it's tougher because you know there's a fewer number of these leagues than say artists from canada and that type of thing so how you divide it all up, how you legislate it, what the minimums are, things like that. Are these teams, are they just going to put replays on at 2 a.m. to satiate their CanCon laws? I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I, there's something there. I'd never really even thought about that before as a possibility. But, um, you know, any more regulation of these companies would be a good thing. <laughs> I think everyone can agree. So um, that's, that's something. Again, I was like you kind of without hope, but that's maybe something that if you're able to sort of um, go through all the red tape it would take to implement you know, and sort of force these these networks to make the investment, then sure, why not look into it at least? I mean, my dream based on just that to, to end that thought is like that you as, as somebody who's running Locked on Raptors or, you know, even like a YouTuber, like a makeup YouTuber or something in Canada can benefit the same way that like 
you know, productions, uh, film productions that are being shot in Canada with Canadian staff. Tax You'll know all, yeah, tax yeah. breaks and all that. That that's sort of where I'm trying to get at. And I think it's possible with the right vision. It just seems like, yeah, all the the people with their big houses who run everything and you know won't let us drink in parks this summer with COVID because they all own lawns. Uh, don't really see the vision. Well, that's the thing, right? Is like. You know, these leagues, you know, the CBL, the the National Basketball League of Canada, the IBL, um, you know, all these different small leagues, youth sports, they employ people like there are people working in the like, I'm one of them. There's lots of people who work for the CEBL that would not have that job if that league did not exist. And that league is helped to exist by the fact that it has CBC exposure. Uh, and, you know, there's all that. It's you know, there's a benefit to this. <laughs> there's a benefit to, you know, creating more sort of exposure for all of these different leagues and all these different subsets of sports and all that, because people will get employment out of that. And ultimately, that is a good thing. And if, you know, the CBL goes out of business because there's no exposure, then that's like 50 people who don't have full-time jobs anymore. Like, it's it all seems pretty basic to me. But, of course, nothing is uh, basic or simple for the powers that be. Yeah, the CEBL is one of those things where, you know, like I, I'm buying an Edmonton Stingers cap just to be like, I don't want this to go away uh, because if it gets if it gets bigger, that's like, you know, basketball, one of the most I think the second most exclusive sport in North America right after football um, is just like one of those things where it's like that's, you know, even for the players, that's like, you know, a uh, 100 roster spots or whatever that just won't be filled for people who need to play professionally, right? Which also, by the way, should be government-subsidized if they're running quotas for Canadian players so they can get played, paid more, right? So they don't have to jump leagues like that. Um, we covered a lot of, I think, what our questions were, which is really good. You know what I mean? Um, I have, like, one question and then maybe one follow-up. Like, I'm, I'm 28, you know what I mean? I have a like a career i'm fairly established and journalism to me is like a hobby right <laughs> um it's something i do for beer money basically you know when i look at uh especially on raptors twitter or you know the good side of raptors twitter we've got an incredible number of like young people who are coming up in the industry either graduating from j school you know like uh, karina mustafa or in westfield esperani like you know everyone who's listening should follow these people they're fantastic right Samson Folk, I don't know how old he is. He could be 50 or he could be 10. Like, uh, Yeah, he's, he's a mystery, yeah. And I guess, like, you know, aside from the, like, obvious, like, work hard, do what you love, maybe someone will give you a job, right? Like, what advice do you give to people like that, especially people who are, like, racialized and in an industry that's, like, marked by that's so access based, right? Of all journalism, like sports journalism is entirely access driven, right? As you mentioned, there's very few spots. Like what sort of advice do you give to, to people like that in terms of like, you know, making your mark or even just being able to like pay rent doing sports journalism in a city like Toronto or a city like Edmonton or a city like Hamilton? Yeah. I mean, look, I come from a lot of privilege when it comes to this, man. I can afford to do two days of unpaid work a week at TSN radio to kind of cut my teeth. And that sucks that, I was able to do that, but there are lots of people out there, particularly from racialized communities, that can't, and it's just not feasible. And so, I mean, a, a lot of it is the onus is on like these companies to, you know, start paying interns and shit like that. And that's the really unfortunate part, because as we've talked about, the inertia with these companies is so powerful. Um, you know, when it comes to young people starting out, I, I guess the the main thing is just like post as much as you can and 
you know, be annoying with it, drumming in people's mentions, that type of thing. Like, that's one thing. But honestly, I think the the greater sort of onus here is not on the people coming up to figure it out or sort of go through the same trials and tribulations that, you know, the people who are more established, and I don't want to say I'm like super established or anything, I'm still pretty early on, but, um, you know, I, I think it shouldn't be on the people who are coming up to figure out the mess. It should be the people who've kind of gone through it to sort of help shepherd people through. And so like, for me, my biggest thing is like, if you're in a position where you have full-time employment in sports media, you should be doing everything you can for people who are not in that position that are trying to get there. Right. So like for me, I mean, a big part of locked on Raptors for me and what it's grown into is it's a place where I can bring new voices on the podcast and sort of get them that sort of first shot at some sort of exposure on a platform, whether it's big or not, you know, it, that's sort of a thing that I pride myself on is getting new voices in there and, and sort of just, okay, yeah, th- you're just part of the regular rotation now and, and you get to be part of the show and it sort of helps up your profile and stuff like that. And all these people are wonderfully smart. So it makes the show better on my end too, which is great. Um, you know, I, I think it's really important, you know, I've done some work with, uh, the CABJ trying to, you know, mentor some up and coming black journalists and broadcasters just, you know, because obviously the, the stat, the, the, the stack, the, the cards are stacked against them. Is that the phrase? Am I missing the phrase? We have the iconic, the very important phrasing jumble that Sean likes to do on locked on Raptors on our own podcast. I'm very excited about that as somebody who has a parasocial oh, relationship with I you. I appreciate that that's a thing that I'm apparently known for. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, back to the point that I do think it's super important to sort of, um, and I've been trying to, you know, I've looking, I've been looking internally the last year or so um, and sort of trying to figure out what I can do. And again, I don't think it should be on the 20 year old who's coming out of school into this hellscape. It should be on the people who are already in it to ensure that the next generation behind them is there. And you know, I find like competition, it's always sort of build this competition in this business. And that's what it was when I was in school and all that. It's like, it's dog eat dog and you got to deal for yourself. But, um, you know, I, I just don't buy that. I think it's stupid. I think the more you kind of, you know, go across the aisle and, you know, I'll have Will Lou on my podcast. I'll have Sam on my podcast. Like we're not in competition. We're all doing the same thing. And ultimately, where we're sort of operating is in direct opposition to the Bells and the Rogerses of the world. And so, um, you know, the more we can kind of build up the the quality, the depth, the talent pool covering the Raptors in this case, I think that just is, it's super important. And I think that's sort of, again, the, the advice is not necessarily to young people to figure it out. It's young people reach out to people who are more established. And if they're willing to help you, those are the good ones. And if they're not, they're probably dicks and um, uh-huh. you should find people who aren't dicks. And uh, you know, that, that that's, you know, seek people out who are mentors, you know, and I had this myself, you know, um, you know, John chick from the score. I'm not sure if you're familiar. I don't think he's with the score anymore, but you know, he was a guy who I finished school and I was totally lost. And I was like, Hey man, um, I've talked to you one time for a story. What we, we did, that I did about Canadian basketball. I want to just meet for a beer and just like talk about the biz. And he did. It was great. We watched Mexico play Brazil in the world cup. It was awesome. And he was wonderful that way. And I've always tried to take that and sort of bring it to how I operate. And, um, you know, just, I think again, it's not on the young people to figure it out. It's on the people who have figured it out to pass that wisdom along. That's that's one of those things I think for me, like moving away from Toronto uh, after university was like so valuable because it's like, you know, Toronto film industry, uh, nightmarish, evil, um, horrific, like, uh, you know, but um, you tend to see everyone around you when you're graduating like university in any like especially craft driven profession. Right. Um, 
as uh as like competition right um and it's intentionally that way because these companies require extremely cutthroat people uh to move up in their ranks right that's how they like vet people and like you know lucky enough to have a a screenwriting career in toronto based out of edmonton where rent is cheaper and stuff like that but like everything became a lot easier once i just realized that no one is actually your enemy yeah i mean like like shared success is is a thing and stuff like that and it's like also being now at the age where people are reaching out to me being like how did you get into making movies i'm like oh fuck (laughs) i don't know yeah i mean like i i got very lucky (laughs) but yeah i'll I'll talk to you about it right and stuff like that because it's like you know it's yeah the 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 world is out there for it right it's just a matter of like okay someone needs to help guide you through like making it work for you because it also hates you right yeah do you have any like last sort of thoughts uh sean on like you know the world of local media you know anything leaps it could take to be better that you haven't talked about or, or anything like that no i think the thing i'm really interested in is like how the subscription model is gonna sort of go forward here and sort of help people make more money as like things like defector become super successful. And we've seen a lot of the, and even the athletic, right. The athletics kind of a a different sort of beast, but um, you know, I'm curious to see, like, are we going to see more sort of localized? We've seen this, I think with, um, you know, we've seen a lot of Blue Jays writers, for example, Andrew Stoughton's kind of doing his own Substack now. And uh, a lot of people have kind of gone into their own little realms. And I'm curious, like at what point are we going to see like, the defector of some team's local coverage, you know, that isn't in sort of the access position, right? Like I've kicked through this idea around before, like, you know, a defector of Raptors people who are not the Michael Granges of the world, right? Like, could that come together? That type of thing, you know, who's going to be willing to take that leap and is it going to ever be financially feasible to do that? Um, You know, the subscription model I think is, is fascinating and I think is going to be, probably the way of the future considering how well things like defector and you know people's patreons and things like that have done um but you know there's still a long way to go there's still a lot of privilege involved in being able to launch something like that too it's it's, it's kind of the under the through current of all of this is it's uh it's a difficult world out there and not everybody has the means or the wherewithal or just the opportunity to kind of take a leap and make that next step but someone will at some point and um, i'm excited to see sort of what comes of that I, I, and I, it's really interesting to see how that's going to like apply to the rest of the world of sports too. Like I think of like PD web, uh, on Twitter, right. Who's like made basically made a career doing a Patreon for scouting. Yeah. I mean, like, I know he does other stuff professionally in the scouting world as well, but it's like, you know, are we going to have like a generation of like homegrown sp- uh, scouts or like game tape people or like film, uh, you know, film rooms that are like, so separate from teams but teams still rely on and stuff like that like that's gonna be fun because it's like yeah i look at pd web and i'm like there are people who pay you Uh, i'm one of them you know seven dollars a month you know canadian just to see you analyze scouting reports of players that i don't know who these high school kids are right i just like what you do i just love like your vibe right and stuff like that um yeah no that is very true the subscription model uh is fascinating it'll be a future episode but yeah like um Sean, where can people find you? Plug your pluggables. Yeah, uh, locked on Raptors every day, Monday through Friday, covering the Raptors. Uh, a lot of draft coverage on tap very soon, it seems, but that'll be fun. It's the first year I've done the show where they've been bad, so it's kind of been <laughs> exciting to test new waters as opposed to the same sort of uh, beats that you typically hit in a in a regular year. 
where they're good. Um, you can find me blogging sometimes at Raptors HQ. Not a ton, but I'll do some game recaps, things like that. And I have a few summer columns that go out every year. My ranking every Raptor is uh, is one that is people seem to think is good, even though it's dumb and stupid. But uh, I appreciate people reading it. <laughs> it's far too much of my time I put into it. But um, yeah, CBL, you can watch that. We got games starting June 24th, and I'll be... Doing some fun stuff actually this year. Can't quite announce it yet, but um, you'll be seeing my face quite a bit around the CEBL. And, Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I guess uh, basketball with Katie Heindel is the other thing as well, our weekly NBA podcast where we talk sort of about basketball. It's a lot of fun. Uh, basketball is a fantastic podcast and everyone should listen to it. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Off Court Podcast. This is our second last episode we are recording of season two. Um, we have one more we're recording next Sunday, and uh, then you will hear from us whenever our producer <laughs> edits the show. Um, so yeah, no, super excited for everyone to listen to it. Uh, I'm Abdul. You can find me on Twitter at Socialist Raptor, and uh, from there you can find my writing and uh, movies everywhere. Uh, I'm Aton. You can find me at Rabbi, Rabbi Die Hardman, where none of our guests follow me because they don't know it's me. Uh, and I post a lot of <laughs> disgusting stuff. It's okay, Sean, if you don't follow me back. <laughs> um, but uh, you can also find my other podcast there, Drum Circle Jerk, which uh, Abdul will appear on soon to talk about uh, Fast and Furious movies. Um, thank you, Sean, for doing this interview. We really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Take easy. <laughs>